24-24 right now. She's obliterating the record. Alicia Barnall is about to four-peat. The only man in history to do it. Kara Goucher, she wanted to do this event. It was important to her. Here in Duluth, how sweet it is. Her arm raised in triumph. Welcome, everybody, to the Gearing Up for Grandma's podcast, brought to you by Essentia Health. Hello again, everybody. I'm your host, Peter Graves, and thank you so much for being with us. Today on the show, uh, we have with us an extraordinary athlete, Susanna Scaroni, a four-time Grandma's Marathon wheelchair champion and the event record holder here in Duluth. And Susanna, from your uh, home in Urbana, Illinois, it's nice to welcome you. Thank you so much. It is great to be here. Uh, you've been making the rounds, and we'll we'll talk about that uh, here in just a moment. You've had an extraordinary schedule. You've been written up I- I- by Matt Futterman in the New York Times uh, for your uh, sensational uh, performances um, the last five weeks. Uh, first things first, uh, we're, we're taping this show just after you've won your first ever Chicago Marathon. That's a race you have previously finished on the podium, but what did it mean to get your first win in the Windy City? Well, to be honest, my strongest competitors were not there in Chicago that day, um, and there's two a woman from Switzerland, but I can honestly say that I gave everything within me that day to try and go as fast as I could, and so um, I am very happy with my performance. I hope that it, um, you know, would have been strong enough to still come in first had they been there. And that is how I feel. I also am grateful because Chicago Marathon has made leaps and bounds in terms of supporting the elite wheelchair field. Um, and this year that was shown in higher prize money, um, equal course record bonuses and like unparalleled coverage from NBC. So it felt amazing to be able to represent that and um, be at the top in Chicago this year. Wow, just amazing. So the race course is relatively flat flat and and fast for runners, but it does have uh, a lot of twists and turns as you make your way through the city. Uh, What's that like for a wheelchair racer? Does that make it uh, actually uh, a particularly difficult course for you and the others? Absolutely. So um, when you you start adding in a lot of turns, it starts looking like a, a lot of decelerating and accelerating. And so I think Chicago has something like 38 turns in it. And not only is it, you know, turny, but it's also windy. And so you get a lot of resistance and a lot of points of accelerating and decelerating. And so it turns it into like a kind of intermittent high intensity race for the course of like an hour and 45 minutes. So um, whether you're with a group of people or by yourself, like I was, uh, the course itself is very challenging. It's quite different there than compared with Grandma's Marathon. Uh, that's point to point. It's net downhill from start to finish, and it's more straight without uh, many many turns. Grandma's, yeah. Oh yeah, very different, and you'll see that in the times. I think um, I was probably just about twenty minutes faster um, by myself in Grandma's this year than I was by myself in Chicago. Uh, as I said, you won Grandma's four times. You set a course record there in 2019 and then this past summer uh you uh, set a new record best for you 127 31 
you broke your own event record and it was a new world's best time for women's wheelchair marathon. Although as I understand it, that's uncertified because of the elevation change being net downhill at grandma's. But what does that mean to you to be the event record holder at grandma's? Um, It means, so it means a lot to me personally, because my philosophy in terms of training and racing is to be able to give my best every time. Um, And that's, you can be guaranteed that's what I will do in every race. And so I guess just to know that, um, you know, a lot of great athletes have gone to grandma's because it is a fast course. Um, I know it's just, it's kind of nice to know that the best that I've been working towards and doing um, is up there and it's paid off in terms of, you know, it's the fastest best that someone has done. I kind of find a lot of just satisfaction in that because I, I truly try to represent everything that I can do that day. That means a lot. Yeah, for sure. So I, I, I want to um, go a little bit off script here and, and talk about uh, you've done three marathons and won three marathons uh, within, I guess it's really a five-week cycle with all the uh, traveling and and stuff like that. Um, And then I would be remiss in saying that uh, in September, you also were married. You married Jacob, who uh, uh, is a big sports fan. You had a racing moon, as you call it, in Berlin. So congratulations on all of this. It, I mean, uh, it's hard to stay focused. It would be for me to have all this going on, but congratulations. Uh, Give me a little bit of feeling of of what the last five weeks have been like. Oh, thank you so much. Um, You're welcome. Yeah. As you noted, we were married September 5th and then um, ended up having our racing moon at the, we went, Berlin Marathon a week later competed in London Marathon and then a week later in Chicago Marathon and um I have to say that it was such a wonderful time you know I got to not only travel um and kind of see some new places with Jacob but he got to experience what it's like to be at um a major marathon and only one but three and I think it was most impressed upon me that he was able to kind of compare um, the treatment of the elite wheelchair field from race to race. And as I mentioned earlier, we're at a time where it's really an honor to be in the major marathon series. Uh, races are really recognizing the elite wheelchair field um, and supporting that. And he got to feel those effects. And that was his first time ever really watching me in person race. He watched mm-hmm. on TV at every race, but um, to have him there in person, to get to feel the treatment of the elite field was very special. Um, and, and it was amazing having him there. And also it was very helpful having him there to help me carry all my equipment. So thank you, Jacob, for everything. <laughs> oh, that's great. I, I think that's an important story to tell. That's the backstory that you may not always hear about why, why podcasts <laughs> uh, allow that. You've done marathons around the world, uh, Boston, London, Chicago, You've got New York coming up. We'll talk about that. Uh, But we always see you return to Duluth and Grandma's. Um, We've talked a little bit about the course, but what is the home milieu like? What keeps you coming back to Grandma's? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So I'm from a small town in eastern Washington state near Spokane. And I love the woods and I love lakes. 
and trees. And my very first time coming to grandma's was 2012. And when I got there, it was just the sense of being home. I absolutely love the grandma's course that you're just kind of out in nature. You have the lake on one side, you have the woods on the other side. And to me, that is the reason that I keep going back to grandma's. It's my favorite um, atmosphere in terms of racing. I'm already, I like racing on my own, as I've said, but I love being out in nature. And I just have this like almost meditative experience when I'm racing at grandma's, um, unlike in any of the major cities I compete in. Yeah, that that's quite beautiful. Um, so, you know, it, it, for you and for other uh, adaptive athletes, uh, Grandma's is one that a lot of people want to come and do. Yeah, um, for most people, I mean, I'm sure everyone loves the course that it's beautiful, but I think for everyone, it's it's your the chance of getting a fast time is very high at Grandma's. Just as we've said, with being a point to point, if your weather is in favor. Um, there's a good chance of having a really quick time there. Yeah. Well, that that's all wonderful for us to hear. Uh, and, and we're really proud of somebody like you giving that kind of recommendation. I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, it's a story you've tell, told before, but let's go back uh, a little bit to the beginning of your, uh, your story of extraordinary success and determination. But tell me a little bit uh, about how you, uh, the, the accident, the things that brought you to wheelchair racing ultimately? Yeah. So in 1997, I was five years old and my mom, my oldest brother, Jesse and I were traveling up to get some work done in our car. And it was January and um, we were on a windy road in the forest, basically. Um, like I said, I'm, in, I'm from the woods and we slipped on black ice into oncoming traffic. And um, I ended up sustaining a complete spinal cord injury at the level of T12, which just means that basically from where my legs start, I have no um, feeling in them or use of them. Um, and so that's in the world of spinal cord injuries, that's pretty low injury. T12 is pretty low in your back. So I have most of the function within my back and my abdominals. And um, also I was at the age of five. And so in terms of spinal cord injuries, it's also a time where, you know, my legs didn't get super tall um, or heavy. So they are really easy to fit in a racing chair. Um, And also I was five. And so I was learning how to do life anyways. And I'm from a tiny community who just integrated me right into whatever my classmates were doing immediately. And I think from that age, I learned how to be independent and I learned how to be creative so that I could do whatever my friends were doing. Um, That helped me get stronger and more confident uh, and kind of build self-esteem that I accepted the way I was and I was just going to be included with my friends. Um, So that has translated really well when I learned about wheelchair racing um, and adaptive sports in general in the fourth grade, it was at a sports expo that Shriners Hospital told my family about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like everything I had hoped for. I was doing the sports that I already loved, but I was, um, it was a completely fair and even playing field. I was just doing the sports. I kind of wasn't um, I wasn't the slowest one down the court anymore, which I had been the previous year when I 
played wheelchair basketball, or I played actually able-bodied basketball, um, I was just playing the sport. Hmm. And so I gravitated to that immediately, that this was an avenue that I could do what I really wanted to do, which was be active. Um, and I was just had all of these opportunities opened up to me um, because of adaptive sports. I went to my first junior nationals um, that summer that I started wheelchair racing. And from there, I just continued playing wheelchair basketball and wheel- did wheelchair racing all the way through high school. Mm. Um, and to kind of demonstrate how much I love wheelchair racing of the two, I had planned to go to University of Illinois um, when I graduated high school. And I was accepted, but the out-of-state tuition was so expensive that my mom said I could not go there. Um, so I went to a private college in Helena, Montana instead. Mm-hmm. And I, so I, I stopped playing wheelchair basketball there because it's harder when you don't have a team, but I still brought my racing chair with me. Um, and I trained on my own without really any competitive ambitions, um, you know, guiding me. I don't really need that goal of a race to keep me motivated. I love pushing my racing chair. Um, and I didn't have a speedometer or anything like that. And my second year, my chemi- my chemistry professor introduced me to math and I run. And it turned out I was doing like 20 mile pushes on my own just because I loved it. Um, and so it happened that the wheelchair racing coach at Illinois, he emailed me my second year in Montana and said, hey, I know you were interested in coming here. If it's still something you you would like to do, we now have an out-of-state tuition um, scholarship opportunity. And and that's Adam. Um, and that's Adam Blakeney. Yes. Right. The Adam yeah. Blakeney. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it, I was just kind of surprised by that. It was something that I, you know, I was like, wow, I did really want to go there. Um, and so my, I talked to my friends and prayed a lot about it. And they were like, Susanna, you train all the time. Like, why would you not go there? This is something you can't do here. Um, so I transferred to Illinois in 2011. And it was just such a perfect integration because I had developed, you know, all of the, the innate motivations and habits I needed to be a good endurance athlete. I just loved training. I still do. Um, and fortunately I'd finished a lot of my really hard classes in Montana. Um, and so when I got to Illinois, I had a little bit more open time in my course schedule and I had this formal training environment full of like legendary wheelchair racers um, to work with and learn from. And so I ended up kind of surprisingly to everyone, I made the 2012 team to London Paralympics um, the next summer. And just from there, because I did the marathon there, I was then kind of put into the major marathon circuit. Um, races had my name, so we're sending me advice as well. And being at Illinois played a big role of that in that. Um, and I just continued to learn about the sport. I have the best coach in the world. He is just brilliant about the sport. Incredible um, reputation. Incredible. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Not only was he an athlete, but he um, just, he's like a master of multiple trades. So he's learned the science and the art of wheelchair racing. Mm. Um, and I've had obviously incredible wheelchair racers to train with. Um, Amanda McGrory, Tatiana McFadden, Josh George, Daniel Romanchuk, all of these people to learn from and learn with. 
And it's led me to where I am today, which is I'm, you know, the fastest I've ever been this season. And um, it's all because of this long and really, you know, nice systematic process. I, I want to ask a little bit about London as, as I go through this. That was your first Paralympic Games 2012. You're now a three-time uh, Paralympian uh, competing in several different events. Um, I, I think people are always interested. What was the feeling like for you the first time you got to wear Team USA? Was it, was, tell, well, you you tell me. What was it like? It was incredible. Um as I said, I nobody expected me to make it to that first game, including myself. When I was announced at the trials, um, the team announcement, I did not expect my name to be called. And mm. so from that moment in June, actually, Grandma's Marathon is what qualified me for the London 2012 um, Games. I, I was so honored. I felt almost like Wow, like it almost felt at that point like I don't deserve this kind of thing. Like I was that honored to mm. be given Team USA apparel. And when you're going to the games, it's not just a, a, a jersey that you get. You get sent suitcases and suitcases right. of things of USA gear to bring with you. Yeah. And I remember just being absolutely shocked um, of of what I was stepping into and what I was given. Um, and I know I remember very clearly that. On the day of the marathon in 2012, I just wanted to represent America and all of the people who had worked hard to support me to get to where I was. Um, I still feel that way. And there are exponentially more people who have supported me, but um, it's an honor that's hard to explain um, when you get to represent your country at the Paralympic Games. Um, and putting on the jersey that day was just like one of the most special things. It's th always special, actually, to put on your USA jersey. I'm sure it is. Um, so not only did you have this this uh, multi-textured career and finding this great athleticism, but uh, and I, and we talked about it when we were grandmas um, last summer, um, September 2021. Uh, you're hit by a car training. It's a, uh, I takes my breath away. Really? You broke three vertebrae. I think you really injured your knee pretty bad. Um, and, um, how, uh, gee, how you came back from that and didn't let it stop you. I mean, it just speaks really, I I'm in awe of your strength determination and character i mean i uh, and anybody that knows you would be uh, was there ever a time you thought oh my my end of wheelchair racing could be in 2021 absolutely i i questioned that very question when i was in the hospital in september of last year um and i wasn't allowed to train again until january so in my racing chair at least um and I wondered the entire time whether I would be able to be comfortable in a racing chair. Um, like when it's your back, for me, when it was my back, I didn't, I took it very seriously. Um, as a person who uses a wheelchair and, you know, I only really have my upper body I can rely on. I did not want my back to be compromised um, in any way that I could avoid. So I just, I didn't know, but I, 
I honestly, whenever I started to go down any sort of negativity when it came to wondering how wheelchair racing would go, I was just reminded how thankful I was that I survived. Um, you know, it could have been different and nothing will kind of shake my appreciation that I'm alive after that. Um, and I feel like that in races too. Um, for some reason, I was given a second chance and to be able to to still be in my racing chair and race at competitions where there's coverage and more people are getting to learn about adaptive sports. Um, I could honestly care less if I lose. I just am so thankful that I get to be there yeah. and get to do it. Um, I mean, that's, that's a message that we all should really take, take heart of. Um, and um, yeah, I, I just, it's, it's stunning to me. What, what, what do you find and now of course you you're married you um so you have jacob you have coaches but what do you find is is the pillar of like your strength that uh, because i mean you sound extraordinarily without anger somebody could have um especially after the second uh incident in september of 2021 i mean what how what do you lean on where where is that that power and that grace come from when you're in a, a darker place where, where do you go that's so i go immediately to my face and that um as i said i think there's so much between my my faith is that you know that there's a god who loves and that is love basically um, and so, and I believe that love can trump all things. So where there's love, there's life. Um, and I, when I'm racing, the, there's a song that's the joy of the Lord is my strength goes through my mind. And I, there are times where I have no strength, like the end of Chicago marathon, I was really struggling, um, that day. And I just kept telling myself, you know, there's joy in love and I am loved. And there's love for all. Um, and that is what my strength is when I have no other strength. Um, and I think there's nothing can cap that either. So That's beautiful. Is that something you've had with you endemic to your personality from a very early age? Absolutely. Um, I grew up in a very faithful family. Um, and I w I've just, it's not been something I was ever forced into. Uh, from a very young age, I felt the presence of God um, and the love that's never going to leave you. So like when things are scary and hard, that that never leaves you. That's the only thing that I've known, I think, to be so consistent because it's not my health um, and it's not the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's the only thing I think I've ever realize that you can cling on to um and because my faith is that love god is a god of love um it's something that's given me just the ability to rejoice in things when they are dark i, I want to talk about tokyo and your gold medal but be, because we're so close to this subject now which is very moving um you're to say the least, you're an exemplary role model for any 
competitive athlete, but but particularly for those that are in wheelchairs. Chris, nobody plans on this in their lifetime, but you have found and living your faith, your strength, uh, you're such a positive ambassador for the sport. Um, what what do you say to young people? What's your message? You're 31 now. What do you say to young people who are interested in getting in this, uh, Susanna? What I say to everyone is that all goals should be challenging. They should be something that you really want to do, but that will challenge you. And then the, the part that has to go along with that is to just break it up into simpler steps. So all the goals, all marathons, I break them down into a simple step. I don't think about 26.2 miles away what I'm going to do there. I know that I need to have a very efficient stroke, a strong stroke. I know that I trained every day that we had training. Um, I know that I slept as well as I could sleep every single night. I just these small things that you can do and you can actually control, they will result in accomplishing very challenging goals. Um, and it's not the goal at the end of the line either that is necessarily where everything's at. It's the process. I know it sounds cliche, but the process actually is so rewarding in and of itself. So going through a hard practice, let's say one of my ways I break up a marathon win is to go through hard practices, the ones I, I don't actually like that much because they are so hard. Mm -hmm. um, going through that pain is actually so rewarding that day. So I think what I tell everyone is to break up big goals into doable, small chunks that are simple, and then to you know enjoy and know that that process is building you into something. Mm -hmm. And for some young people who want to, because I, I, I've been around the Paralympic movement for, for so long, particularly in cross-country skiing, it, it's like, at first, how do you get a chair or how do you get a sit ski or, or those kind of things? You know, I'd like to do it, but, you know, is the system getting better at being responsive to the needs of athletes that are out in the American hinterland now? I'm so glad you brought that up. I would say from the time that I was a kid until now, it has gotten better. So when I was a kid, I was just, you know, so fortunate to have grown up an hour away from an adapted sports program in Spokane. And I learned about it through Shriners Hospital, of which I was a patient. Mm -hmm. I would otherwise have never learned about it. Um, so fortunately, because we have more media coverage and awareness of adaptive sports, um, I think more people at least know something's out there. Mm -hmm. And now you can go to U.S. Paralympics um, website and you can find out ways to actually get in touch with specific emails. And I think now we have a network that as long as you can at least be exposed to the sport, know what's out there, that there's more at least ways to funnel yourself into somebody who knows somebody who can get you in contact with somebody else in your area hmm. but we still have a long ways to go um i really find it my personal responsibility as well as all of my competitors is to make sure we are increasing the number of programs that exist and or you know increasing 
the understanding of how to coach wheelchair racing so that coaches who are not wheelchair racers can actually learn how to be effective coaches. Um, I think we, we have a role to play in order to increase the, the amount of opportunities people have so that you don't have to just live or drive, you know, four hours to get to the closest adaptive sports team to learn how to get fit for a racing chair. Um, that someday it will be at your high school that you have somebody who knows how to coach wheelchair racing. Absolutely. I, I want to talk about uh, the Paralympics again. Uh, uh, in Tokyo 2020, uh, you competed in 5,000 meters, won a gold medal in that event. Um, so if being a Paralympian isn't enough, uh, what was the feeling like to win a gold medal? Now, I, I have to say from knowing you a bit that your life is complete without a gold medal. But having said that, well, uh, how did it feel to take a gold medal? I'm glad you said that. Um, I know. I told Timmy Sailors, like, I was content before I got the gold medal. And then it just crazy happened. Um, I have to tell you, I was in shock when it first happened. Um, and I was also, when it sunk in that it had really happened, I was so thankful for the way that it happened. Um, so I've done a lot of 5,000 meter races in my life. And all of them, you have a drafting groups, you have a big pack of women trading off from the front, and then it comes down to a 400 meter sprint. Um, and I am not a sprinter. <laughs> um, and I was dreading that race because I knew that if all the times at the Paralympic Games, I needed to try and get a medal. Um, so I needed to try and be in a good position to sprint at the end. And I, I couldn't do what I really wanted to do, which was, you know, push as hard as I could, like I always liked doing. But then um, something crazy happened on the fifth lap. It was my turn to pull and I was pulling and I planned to come into lane two so the next person could pull their lap. And the group was like hundred meters behind me. And I didn't mean to drop everyone. I just, it just happened. My speedometer wasn't working in the stadium with all the interference. So I wasn't sure what speed we had been going versus what I should Cola. Mm -hmm. So I just thought for a moment, I was like, I could wait because you never want to pull away from a strong group of women with seven laps to go. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, I'm just going to go conservatively because I know they'll catch me and I don't want to um, be exhausted when they do. So I was, I decided to just maintain my efficiency. And um, when there were two laps to go and they still had not caught up to me, I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe what is happening. And I just need to try and take this. So I picked up my speed um, and was able to hold off the group um, and came within a second of the world record and got a gold medal. And I just, I was in shock of all of it because that was not what I expected. That wasn't what I planned to do. And it wasn't what I was expecting would happen uh, when I was in the lead. And I was also elated because I got to actually do the time trial race I like doing. And it actually worked out um, to be a gold medal. So, you know, honestly, I have to say that was not only was it just an elation, it was something that I was like, you know what, sometimes your strengths can be the strength. Um, so I would have always thought and I would still tell people like, know a pack of women who are strong can work together to beat a, one person 
But my strength was pushing my hardest and pushing as best as I can and not relying on tactics and kind of this game at the end. Mm. And I was just really thankful that sometimes hard work and just doing what you're good at can be the best thing to do. Um, So it was just a very surprise and joy and um, one of the greatest things I could have been given. I, I like to ask people where they keep the medal. Where do you keep yours? So right now, I also moved um, <laughs> the week before the wedding. So right now, wow. things are still getting unpacked. But Can I you add to- any more to your schedule, please? <laughs> <sighs> I know. Please no. <laughs> um, I, it's in our spare bedroom. But yep. we have this like hutch thing that it's going to go into eventually when we really figure out where things are going to go after we paint. <laughs> That's cool. Have you at all considered like the, uh, I think the all-time women's record uh, grandma's uh, Tammy Althut who had 10. Is it too early to uh, start uh, thinking about breaking that record? No, not at all. I okay. love grandma's marathon. I always want to excuse to go to Duluth. <laughs> Will we see you back next year? Do you think you, you're hoping to return? Uh, so the, the, it's the reason I haven't gone to grandma's every single year is that it's often the same weekend as our U.S. Um, nationals. Mm-hmm. And this year was the first year they have not made nationals mandatory. Um, and that's the only reason I was actually allowed to go to grandma's this year. Um, and next year, we will have um, a world championship in Paris. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's unlikely I'll be up back at grandma's, just given the way the schedule is. Um, but there's still a chance. And, and not that you have a lot of spare time, but you're, we're talking to you. You're such a multifaceted individual. You're uh, completing a master's in nutrition science and uh, kinesiology. So um, I, I, I think having a little break from racing, racing, racing all the time, a mental, another kind of mental stimulus is a good thing. I 100% believe that. And that's another reason Adam, my coach and his coach before him, Marty Moore, are, in my opinion, you know, the best guides and leaders for us because they highly prioritize us, you know, continuing our formal education. Um, It is challenging as a professional athlete, but it's just as important. Um, And last year when I was injured, and I could step immediately into my dietetic internship, which is important to becoming a registered dietitian. I was so grateful that I was at that point and I had something else to lean on. I wasn't, all of my eggs were not in a wheelchair racing basket. Right. Um, but like you said, it's so nice to have something mentally stimulating. Um, I love learning anything almost, but I, I'll always be passionate about nutrition. But um, exercise metabolism, I love exercise physiology and kinesiology. And I think it's essential for every athlete to continue just educating themselves about anything in the world. Um, It's important to be a human, I think, to know more and more. Absolutely. And uh, you are not one to let grass grow under your feet. But in November, uh, you uh, go to New York. Uh, You have... uh, been third there in 2019 uh it's a special marathon it's definitely one of the biggies uh what are you looking forward to in the big apple 
I am really looking forward to um, seeing how I can do on a climbing course. Um, as I said, I've, I feel like this is my strongest season yet. Um, and I was unable to go to New York last year. I would say last year was the beginning of my strongest season yet. Um, and I was unable to go there. And I'm, I've done a lot of flat courses now. Um, and I really want to see how I'll compare. Plus, one of my best competitors, Manuela Shar will be there. And I just really want to find out. I'm actually more curious than anything how I can do there. Well, great. Um, gee, there are not enough adjectives that I know of that can adequately describe you as a as a human being or as an athlete. Um, and uh, I, I just have to say thank you so much, uh, Susanna. You're already yeah. one of the all-time greats and you may just still be scratching the surface. I don't know, but you're <laughs> remarkable. And uh, I really, really want to thank you for joining us in thank this. Thank you uh, so much. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you at Grandma's whenever you come the next time. This Gearing Up for Grandma's podcast is brought to you by Essentia Health. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Please subscribe. We'd love to have you rate us and tell your friends. Grandma's Marathon is proudly presented by Toyota, members Cooperative Credit Union and ASICS. I'm Peter Graves. So long, everyone.